Good evening. This Parsha, Parsha's Chukas, um, is famous because it begins with the Indian of the Paraduma, the quintessential item of lack of understanding. Excuse <coughs> me, if somebody touched the water of the Afer Hapara, so he became Tome, and if someone was Tome, he became Tar. So it was really a very interesting paradox. It was like a, a question as to the reason of how one thing could serve in the capacity of two realms diametrically opposed to each other. There was a story of around a hundred and uh, around 130 years ago there were in, in Europe there were many and in Russia there were many very wealthy Jewish merchants they had a once a year get together and many of them were not from most of them were not from but they were hidden and one of their gatherings when they came to do merchandising and meet with other chieftains in the business world it came out that in the middle of the 10 day conference was Yom Kippur and they encouraged everyone to come to shul whether they knew what they were doing or not but they were all hidden so they came to uh to Shul, and they sold the Aliyahs and the Kibbutah. When it came to the Sikha for Ne'ilah, so one of the richest of them was a Baron Ginsburg. This Baron Ginsburg was not from but the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, quite often when there was an emergency for money, would quietly send to him, and he almost always responded. So he had a very strong uh, backbone and involvement. His heart led him towards chesed, and he did a lot of chesed. Now, Baron Ginsburg was from, uh, to a limited sense, some held he wanted in these books that break down stories about him, some tend to say he was a Shomer Shabbos, some are a little more borderline, but when it came to Psicha for Neila, he bid 20,000 rubles. So there was another baron there, Baron Muckberg, who heard that Baron Ginsburg was bidding 20,000 ruble. It's like a half a million dollars. So he bid 30,000. And he got it. And after the bidding was over, he asked someone by the way, what is Psicha for Neila? So they said, you didn't even know what it is. Why did you bid hundreds of thousands of dollars, 30,000 rupee? So he said, I don't know what it is. But I do know that Baron Ginsburg, my friend, is a very big maven. And he understands the value of things that are valuable. So if I didn't know what it was, it made no difference to me. I knew that he thought it was valuable enough to bid a half a million dollars or 20,000 ruble. So I felt compelled to be able to outbid him and get it. But we learn from this story that people without understanding the actual thing 
And, and the obvious is what's drawn down usually with this story when it's told over is that if a Baron Ginsburg only bid because of Baron Muckburg and what he thought, the understanding was, so how much more when Hashem does something that we do not understand, but we know Hashem's doing it. So that for us should be enough to be mechazik aremuna to do things. And that fits right in with the parsha of Porah Duma and the Eferah Porah that was used. And there were nine Porah Dumas. The tenth will be when Mashiach comes, it's brought down. And <clears throat> it was like a magic-like thing that a person was told me, he took it, spritzed it on them, he became taller. It was like a, a miracle. So we have to sharpen our base of emun and bitochen, that when things throughout life happen, we have to pick ourselves above and beyond. And I heard once from a scholar he told over a story that obviously never happened, but the lesson is as real and daily important to us as could be. And that is that a man had in his backyard a well, and his donkey fell into the well. And the donkey was like screaming whatever sounds a donkey would make when it's in trouble. It was at the bottom of the well. And the owner, the Balabas, started scrambling to do whatever he could to get the donkey out. And he couldn't succeed. And he himself almost felt faint because he was working beyond his strength. And then he was thinking, you know, the donkey is such an old donkey. And it's probably not going, it's not surviving. Even its moaning and its groaning is decreasing and decreasing and maybe dying. So he decided to call a few friends and to take the dirt around in the field and start piling it into the well to bury the donkey. In other words, they felt it's going to die there anyway. Maybe they should just, you know, he's old and he's not going to get out of there. We tried everything. We can't get him out. And we hear that his voice is waning and waning, so he's dying. So they started putting in dirt to bury him. And they're working, they're there two hours, they're three hours, they're four hours. And they came to a point that suddenly the donkey itself came out of the well and started walking. What does this mean? It means that many times in life we see problems that we think we're sinking with. What did this donkey do that he survived? He survived because he took the dirt that was meant to bury him and he made sure to constantly go above it as it was coming down and knock down the dirt to a point that the dirt was going up and it was able to keep, not himself, under it, but above it to the point that it got to the top that he was able to jump out of the well. And what is the lesson for us? That we are constantly encountering difficulties in life, bumps in the road, things that would cause us to throw up our hands and say, look, I tried, I did. 
But the donkey didn't do that. He took the problem that was bearing him and he found a way to put it under him and use it as the springboard to get out of the well. And many people take the problems in life and use the problem to push themselves above and beyond to learn from the problem and to be able to deal with the problem. And from the problem itself, you read the Zul and Sarech that they're able to rise above and beyond and use it as a source for being able to move on and to grow and to do even more. And not as a bump in the road, but to take the bump and to grow from the bump, to get out of the bump. Now, we know that in this Sedra Chukas, <clears throat> two of our royal, our most three illustrious personalities of this whole Tekufa, the Midbor, Mitzrayim, everything, died. Miriam died, she was Nifter, and Aaron, both in Parshas Chukas. And by Miriam, it says, <clears throat> by Yomasham Miriam, she died there and she was buried there. But it doesn't say anything about crying. The distinction between Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron was that when it said by Moshe Rabbeinu that Claude Yisrael cried when he passed on, and Aaron, they cried, it says, call base Yisrael. So we learned from that even the women, because he made Shalom bias, so they missed his presence, the fact that he was no longer there, so they cried too. So there's a distinction between the whole Claudius Yisrael and some of Claudius Yisrael. But there was crying. But by Miriam, it doesn't say any crying. It just says she died there, and she was buried. And what do we learn from that? So Mephorshim say that when a person, let's say, dies and there are 106, we can go to the Leviah and we lament the loss. Any loss, no matter what age, is a loss. But we can't equate the crime or the level of tragedy if someone's 54 years old and someone's 106. A person, when we go to a well, 106, it's a shame, but they lived a fruitful life, they lived a long life. They didn't die from sickness. I mean, there are many things that are admirable. I mean, no one lives forever. So there are differences in how we respond to the circumstances, the age, the sickness, or no sickness, or to different people. <clears throat> Let's not forget that the whole reason there was a Moshe Rabbeinu was Miriam. She came to her father at age four and she said, you're worse than Paro. Paro's only killing the boys. You're killing the boys and girls. You divorced my mother, so you have no more children. That's wiping out. And you're the God Lador, so everybody followed you and divorced their wives after you did. So, and he said, you know something, my daughter? You're right. And he took back his wife. And there was a continuance, and that's when Moshe Rabbeinu was born. So the credit of a manig of Yisrael, Lokumbi Yisrael, Kamosha, the greatest Navi, the greatest leader, was Miriam. She was the one response, responsible. And when they, the Yidden, there's a famous question, why is it that no woman fell in to the Maisa Ego? No woman. And the Medrash says the men were fighting with the wives to get their jewelry, and they fought off the husbands, and they not one woman participated and gave one diamond or one ring or one piece of gold. 
Nothing. So the question is, why is it that not one woman, I mean, let's say all the thousands of women, you'd figure 10 would fall in, five would fall in, someone, but not one did. So the answer they say is that Moshe Rabbeinu Oz Yoshir, he sang a song with the whole Klayasur. Afterwards, Miriam went and took the women and also sang a song. But she took supim and macholos, she took instruments. And there's no comparison. The level of Shira with music to Shira without Simcha. And she brought out the innermost hidden hergish, the feelings of Simcha. So she brought the women up to a higher level than even where the men were. And that's how the women, and that's Chustam, unfortunately, say, not one woman 60, uh, 60 days later, whenever the few shortly thereafter that Moshe Rabbeinu was al seven days after they left Mitzrayim and he was saying Oz Yosher but Miriam took the women with instruments and with instruments it brings out even a higher level of simcha like the Zohar Kodesh says that the Mokom of Zemer of Shira is right next to the Kisir Kodesh because when a person sings a nigan, there's hergish. But when there's some instrument, there's something to it that adds a flavor that can bring out an extra inch of the innermost level of that simcha, we get we go up even higher. And she did that, and the Farshim say, that's the reason that. Not one woman, because they were riding so high that 40 days later, that 60 days later, because this is when they went to Alayam, and then 50, then they got the Torah, and then 40 days later they had the eagle. So 60 or 70 days later, but not one woman participated. Not one! Because of the simcha of the shir. Who was responsible for all of that? We're paying for the Cheta Egel to this day. We're in Golis because of that. There would have been the Geula if they wouldn't have brought that Egel. Miriam. She kept the women separate and she did for them what no one else did in bringing out the essence of their Neshamas. So there is an emotional attachment, and you're supposed to cry the Gemara, the Gemara says, the halacha is that a person, you're supposed to cry for three days after something you're supposed to. And, and then there's a time for hesped, then there's a time. So it's not a bad thing, but there's a realm one step above even Bechia, Sometimes there's people that are so emotionally destroyed by tragedy, they can't even cry. People came out of the Holocaust, and people asked them, how could it be you lost your mother, your father, your children, your dead? Why aren't you crying? He said, because I'm above tears. I'm beyond that. I can't even cry. And that's why they didn't cry. There's no mention of any crying for Miriam. There's for Moshe and there's for Aaron. Because in certain respects, she superseded them. It was above the world of crying. Just like we say that Yom Kippur is crying and fasting, but Sukkot is Simcha, which is a step above the crying and fasting. So we see the value of true Simcha and what type of a role it plays for Yidden in their lives. Now, we see that the Medrash, the Psikta Rabbasi says that there was a Yid who had 
he was a very rich man, and the Medrash says this, and he became very poor to a point he had to sell his cow, his last cow that he used for plowing his field, for the milk, for the, whatever he did. But he needed the money, so he sold the cow. And he sold it to a goy. So the Medrash says that when it came Shabbos, that the owner took it out to the field to plow and do what they did the whole week, and it refused to work, it stopped. And the owner came over and tried to pull it and tried to give it some extra hay to eat to encourage it to thought maybe it was hungry. And then it hit it and it never budged. So he went back to Medrashas to the person he bought the cow from and said, you sold me a lemon. He's not working. So the person said, bring me over, let me go to the cow. And he went over to the cow and he whispered in the cow's ear. And he said to the cow, when you worked for me, you weren't allowed to work in Shabbos because I'm But you're now owned by a goy. So you could work on Shabbos. Immediately the Medrash says the cow stood up and began to. So the goy, the new owner, said to him, what? in the world happened here? What did you whisper? You didn't touch it. You didn't touch. What did you say? So he told him that for me, he wasn't allowed. I'm Jewish. I'm, he can't work for me on Shabbos. But for you, he could. Oh, he heard that. He got up. He's ready to work. And the, the Medrash says that the Goy was Spellbound. I mean, the, the, the Medrash uses such words, he was like in a state of shock. What? That's what you said to a. He was Maguire, and it says that he became a Marbitz Torah. And he was called Yochanan ben Torasa. Now, Torasa is like in Chagadia. That the word Torah in Chagadia, also Torah. The cover Lamaya what what that means his cow. It doesn't mean Torah like the Torah we learn. It means in Aramaic it means his cow. And this yid was called Yoichanan ben Torah. Torosa. That he was Yoichanan like the son of the cow because he became a gear. And he learned all this Torah and taught so much Torah because he was moved and transformed that a cow, and he said it, the Medrash quotes what he said, that Madach a cow that doesn't have much sense and, and all of that understood the difference of what being a Yid and not a Yid, what you're allowed to do, how you have to live in this world and how you don't live in this world. So what about me? There's still hope for me, the man said, and he was Maguire and became a full-fledged yid from it. So we see that even from a cow, like there's people that think that how do you make a Balchuva? You sit down in a philosophical discussion. What's the purpose in life and what's life worth and the hours of the day? What are we doing with them in this world? for the short time that we're given to live here. But the truth is, that's not what's going to make him a Balchufa. But if he comes to a Shabbos table and he sees that in his realm on a holiday, they're busy drinking champagne, half the people can't drive home, they're they're drunk, they're half drunk, they're, they're and here a Shabbos comes, yes, from Rakadish to Shabbos on, on wine, but then how the whole Seder had for him, of how the Zmiris and the Divrei Torah, it could be from a setting like that, that's invite the person's invited to a Shabbos meal, is more moved and it makes more of an impression, and many people became Balei Tshuva, from being invited into the homes 
of people who invited them and they experienced the Shabbos without the philosophical question and answers and discussion. So that was his, that we, if a cow could do this and that, then we certainly can with our full cap capability of understanding, expressing, asking, answering. It's like a demand on us. And this, the Psikta Rabasi brings in this Arparsha because of the discussion of the Paraduma. Now, the Medrashachartov says that when, in our Sedra, that when they were passing Edo, Moshe Rabbeinu sent them a message, let us pass through. We're not interested in taking anything from you. We're not interested, you know, and if you want, you can sell us water, sell us some food, uh, and we'll pay full, full price so you'll have a profit. And, the, and Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of just asking, let us go through, which is what he wanted, he goes into a reminiscence of what we lived through in Mitzrayim. There's like three psukim, Vanitzak El Hashem that there is a, uh, a background to our people. So the Meforshim say, what did he have to go into that for? Because Edom said, you rebelled in Mitzrayim. And you ran out. You ran out. So you're rebellious. So who says you're going to be in my country? You're not going to rebel. You're not going to do something wild also. So Moshe Rabbeinu went through these psukim to say, don't think we're a wild people. We worked enslaved. We were never paid. And it was HaKadosh Baruch Hu who pulled us out. And our recognition of our HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the guideline of how we deal with people and how we live in this world. And the Medrash, this Medrash Shachar Tov, says, Shachar Baruch Leos Hashem, that from the Vanitzak, Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to convey that we don't come with swords and we don't come with guns, we come with the power of our connection to our culture and our davening. And interesting, on this medrash, the Vilna Gon says that in Ashray, every single line of Ashray is a statement and then evolved with another statement. In other words, let's say if you go, Godol Hashem Umahulo. Vilig do loso, that means he's great. Vilig do loso, ain cheker. There's a beginning statement, and in that same line, there's another statement with a vav. And it's in every single line except for one. Korov Hashem lechol korov, lechol asher that Hashem is close to those who call him, and everyone who calls him out of sincerity and truthfully, honestly. There's no fault in that line. Because that line deals with reference to tefillah. And tefillah can carry us above and beyond what we could ever imagine in our lives in its effectiveness. Um, and as I've told you in the past, that there were tzaddikim who davened, they closed their gemaras, and they went and they took a tillam. Tamatar connected kulam, why not just continue learning in this book? But the answer is, because there's a place of effectiveness through tefillah and bakosha that even the limanatorah can't get the schar for limanatorah is dakamor. But when you need help, and you need the key for, excuse me, for salvation, that is tefillah. Now the Kli Yoker 
asks that the Pusik says, Kaches Hamate, and I want to say to you, this whole, in our parish is the story of they wanted water, and Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Hashem, and he said, you speak to the rock. Moshe Rabbeinu went and hit the rock twice, and the water came out. Because he was not Mekadish Shem Shamayim, and Yan Lahaktisheni, that Akronis Baruch says, you missed the opportunity to make a Kiddush Hashem just to speak. But you hit the rock, you're not going to ever go into Eretz Yisrael. I mean, he will after Trias Amesim and bring back from the Midbar all those people with him. But you're not going into Eretz Yisrael. And Aaron, the same thing, didn't go into Eretz Yisrael. So first the question is asked, why should Aaron be blamed? He didn't hit the rock. Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock. But it says that he hit the rock twice. So after the first hit, Aaron, who was standing right there, the Mephorshim said, the Meshachachma talks about this, that he should have protested. He should have said to Moshe, what are you doing hitting Akash told us to speak to the rock, but he didn't, after the first hit, say anything, so he was blamed for the second hit, because he didn't protest the hitting. But the Rambam says a very interesting thing. The reason Moshe Rabbeinu could not go into Eretz Yisrael was not because he hit the rock. It was because he said before he hit the rock to Claudius Yisrael, Shimu no rebellious, you rebellious, rebellious people, listen to me and see what's going to happen now. So the Rambam says that because he called the flock, he called Claudius Yisrael rebellious. And they were rebellions. That's why he couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael. So why so severe? I mean, let's say he told them off. But a leader, whether it's a teacher in a classroom or it's a parent with children, we are never allowed to lose ourselves. If a person is in the worst mood, and they are very upset, and they had every right to be upset. But they have to be able to direct and control the level of criticism of how it's expressed, what is said, and how vehement we are with the other person. For Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the, the leader, the monarch of Klal Yisrael, to say Shimu Nahamoyrim was so out of order that he lost his opportunity to go to Eretz Yisrael and to come in with Paul Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael. So says the Rambam. And, he, and the Mephorsheha Rambam bring a raya. They marshal support to what the Rambam says. And they say that if indeed the reason was because he hit the rock, then why on Shmini Atziris, when we have the stanzas, each stanza, one for Avram Avinu, one for Yitzchak, one for Yaakov, then Moshe. By Moshe we say, Al HaSelahach, it's a supplication on Shemini, it says, for water. So it's a reference to Moshe Rabbeinu. He said he hit the rock and water came out. Now, if that was the reason that he did such a terrible thing, that he hit the rock, would we use that as part of our tefillah to ask for water? If that was so bad, would we mention, let's say, an Avera? Would we mention something so wrong? 
So the Mephoshia Rambam bring a raya that we, to substantiate, to prove the point of view of the Rambam, that has nothing to do with the fact that he had, it was the way he spoke and referred to Klal Yisrael as moirim, as rebellious. And that was out of character for any leader to do. So, the Kliyokr says on this Pasuk, this Indian, is why did he have to be told Kaches Take the Mate. Now, there were two Mates. Moshe Rabbeinu had a Mate, and there was a Mate from last week's Sedra that after the story of Korach, that there was an unbelievable reaction after Korach went on. You would have thought the people saw before their eyes how the earth opened and they went away, they would have done shuva, they would have behaved. No, they were murmuring again. So HaKadosh Baruch told Moshe Rabbeinu, tell every one of the princes of the Nisim of the Shvatim, take their mata, put it in the oil moid in the circle, and each mata had its name with its name of its shavit on it. And Aaron put for Shavit Levi his in also. And Hashem said, whichever mata, whichever staff will sprout forth and will be fruitful and have the almonds, the flowers, huh? you should know he's the leader. And as a matter of fact, as we know, that Mate Aram blossomed forth and each one took their staff back home and there was never another word. It was more of a powerful message than of the earth opening up and then falling in. This seal the decision, and Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, Zechron of always used to say that, that why did it, does the Pasuk say, Vayiru Vayikhu Ishmatayu, that they all saw and they took their staff, why should it, I mean, they're laying there on the floor, they were the losers in this competition. So why does the Pasuk have to stress to us that they each saw their mata, that nothing happened with it, and they went and they took it back home to their shavit. And he says, because at that point, they realized that there's such a thing as pride and unity of Klal Yisrael. They went and brought their losing mata back to the shavit to show the shavit, I lost, and now it's time to be unified. In other words, they were proud of their loss because they knew that they had a mission to unify Kal Yisrael. And that was their mission. So Sundar Moshe repeated that thought very often in unifying Kal Yisrael for a common cause and the benefits of unity by Kal Yisrael. So the, the Kliyokar wants to say that the Mate Aaron, that one that blossomed and had the Shkaden, the omens, was the one that Moshe Rabbeinu took and hit the, and subsequently was put Ladoros to be in the Urim, that Mate Aaron, which when the Shir comes, we'll see it. Because he wanted a message. He wanted a message to the rock. The rock could have said, look, I was not created to give water. I am a piece of rock, a dome. So Moshe Rabbeinu took, he said, you see this stick, this mate? It wasn't meant as a simple piece of dry wood to give out flowers and to give out almonds and all of these things that it, that it did. But it was the Ratzon of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so you give out. You do the unnatural thing and give out water, says the Kliyokr. That's the reason specifically 
that he was given this uh, dry piece of wood and to show that it certainly could give out a tremendous amount of water for Kleisel against its nature, like the piece of wood against its nature. And we sometimes have to rise above an occasion. That means someone says to you, what are you trying to do this and this? The odds are against you. Look how many others tried this and they failed. Look at how many things you've tried and you failed. But a person has to rise above and through great will, the willingness to achieve and to accomplish that nothing could be an obstacle in your mission to succeed if you have 100% Ratzon to do so. Now, there was a very beautiful idea expressed by the Shemen Hatov Rav Weinberger Sofronel of Rocha, who was a Rav in Williamsburg of the Young Israel. But he has a safer five chalokim, Shemen Hatov, magnificent Divri Torah. So he says, why is it that the Paraduma was used for Tomei Mace, especially? That was its mission. Someone who came in contact with a mace, they were being retired, they went to a Tahara, they found a body in the middle of the street, and they took it to the side, they became Tomei. Why was that the antidote and the cure? the the Efer Hapara to get the person out of the state of Tumma into and why is it such a paradox that means the way the whole halacha of what it is and what it represents uh, is a question of not being able to understand Shlomo Melech was the biggest chachman he understood walked down the street he heard two birds talking and he understood what they were saying. And as the Medrash tells us in Shira Shirim, that somebody came to Shlomo Melech and asked him to please teach him the, the sikh of the, the language of the birds. And, he re, and the Shlomo Melech said, no, I don't want to do it. But he kept coming to him. So at the end he taught him. And he's walking down the street this year, and he hears two birds saying one to the other. The Medrash brings this. He said, one bird said, oh, look at that guy coming up the street. His house is about to burn down. So the Medrash says that he had inside information that the house is going to burn. So he ran to a real estate man and he said, I'd like to send it today at my house. And he bought the house. And three days later, after it was a new owner, the house burned down. So he felt like I had the inside of it. I heard what the bird said. Then, Around a month later, he heard the birds talking and said, this man coming down the thing, his whole flock is gonna die out from a sickness, all his cattle. So he heard that, he ran and he sold all the cattle. And by the new owner, three days or a month later, all the cattle died. But meantime, he got the money because he sold them. And then he heard, the Medrash says, that walking down the street, two birds said, oh, you see that man? In another three weeks, he's going to die. So he ran back to Shlomo Melech and said, save me. That, that, 
So, so my mother said to him, see, I told you I didn't want to teach you because had you not known that you're going to die, something would have happened, you would have done tshuva and something and you wouldn't have died. But now I can't stop it. And he died in three weeks, the man. So there's things sometimes that we don't have to have all the answers and explanations. Like the Ramban says, that a person has to live with his simplicity and his daily activity and not have all of the answers and not be able to understand everything that he wants to understand. So, where does this come from, says the Shemato, with the paradox of not being able to understand? Because where do we have death from? It's from Adam. Once he ate, the world was not meant to have any death in it, or sickness, or anything. It was supposed to be a world of Ganeidna, a world of even higher Olam Haba. But he did the chet. And what brought him to do the chet? The nachash said to Chava, V'yisem ke'lokim. You're going to become godly. Yodeya yotovarav. The difference of good and bad. Hashem doesn't want competition, so he doesn't want you to know everything. Because he wants to be the only one to know and understand all the whys and all the nots, yes and no. And no. But he knows that if you eat from that Eitzadas, you are going to be like him, and you're going to begin understanding and knowing every answer and every question and every. So, since what brought about death to this world was this, the, the thirst for knowing everything and never having a doubt and never not understanding the kapara for that tumah that comes because of death is the paradumah which we don't understand, which is a paradox. It's metayer, the, the temeyim, and it's metameh, because once someone touched it, he became tame. But he was able to effectuate a tahara for the other person. And we don't fully understand. Now, the ability to rise above and why was it brought about by Moshe Rabbeinu the last time? None of the Nevi'im or anyone could have a, a Paradumma, let's say, by a Shani. There was no Paradumma. So that was left to the Koyach of Kual Yisrael. Tomashiach comes that how are we Metaher and Mezachich our Nishamas? So number one is mikvah. Like the Baal Shem Tev said, a mikvah is not a mitzvah for a man, but there's nothing that brings him to greater tahara than the mikvah. And there's nothing that pulls down a person more than atzvahs, than despondency. And it's not an avera. So that's not a mitzvah, and it can still pull you up to the highest level, the mikvah. And the, the despondency, the atzvahs, is not an Avera, but there's nothing greater that can pull you down further than that type of thing. So we go away with the idea of the Mayim, and as a matter, as a matter of fact, the Ber Mayim Chaim says, that why did he hit twice the rock? Because if you take, there's such a thing as called a Milui, that means when you have a letter, Samach, it's not just the Samach, what you're pronouncing is the filling of the letter. Samach, you, there's a man and a chof. Samach. So Samach is spelled Samach, man, chof. 
So, in the Samach, the letter Samach, what's the middle letter? The Mem. Samach. In this, the word Selim, in Dibartam Selim, the Lamed is Lamed Mem Dalet. So, what's the middle letter again? Another Mem. And Sela is Yud in between. That it's a, a that it's a, a Sela is spelled Ayin Yud Nun. The Ayin, mm-hmm. the letter Ayin. If you do it the Mili is Ayin Yud Nun. So you have a Mem from the word. The letter Samach is a mem. Lamed is again a mem. And then the middle letter of Ayin is a yud that spells Mayim. So he had to hit it twice to knock off the first letters and the last letter, and you're left with Mayim. That's how Moshe Rabbeinu was left and why specifically two times he had to hit because he had to knock off the first letters and he had to knock off the last letters. And that left him with the Mayim for Klav Yisrael. And Mayim has remained a fundamental boost for Klav Yisrael. That we take off the, the we're Makadish our Yodayim for Truma. That's why we wash before Hamotzi. That there is the, the Indian through Mayim we can bring up. We are Matire a Mace. A person himself who was not at the highest level, there's Tumma involved, he goes to a mikvah, that that brings him out of the shell of the Tumma, that we are able to learn from this parsha the value of water and what it does for the Nishama. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Bracha v'atzlach.